We are in 1 Samuel chapter 12 as we continue in our 1 Samuel series this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bible, uh, the text as always will be on the screen in just a minute. Um, we're going to be talking about this idea really that is, I think, prevalent all throughout the Bible of, of making good out of bad. Uh, Alice was talking to our children and, and saying, and I had to laugh because a few of them said, you know, are we good? And some of them said, no, we're not good. They, if they've learned something in church, they got that, right? Whether they learned that at church or from their parents. Uh, but that is really sort of the theme of all of Scripture, of you know, people messed up and God is, is throughout the Old Testament and all from Genesis to Revelation is in this process of renewing our world and making what we messed up something good. Uh, so we experience that. We experience God's goodness in, in different ways in spite of sin and in spite of fallenness. Uh, and, and we experience that a lot through our relationships. And I think one way I've experienced it most is, is just through being, being married and seeing uh, the process of, of forgiveness that comes in that, uh, just acceptance that, that you have. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, Michelle and I have been married for 12 years, and that's not as long as, as some of you, but it's, it's been enough for me to have realized the value of being committed to one another, you know, over the long haul, for the long term, and, and what that does for, for two people. And I remember when we were first dating, we went through the phase uh, like all couples do, sort of the lovey-dovey phase, you know, where uh, you tell each other, you know, how beautiful or handsome you are. And, and, and we still say that from time to time, but, but that's kind of all you do for a certain period of time. And we went through that. And I remember one time she, she said to me, she was looking into my, my baby blues, and <laughs> she said to me, you have such beautiful blue eyes. And you know that I'm not... An off-the-cuff kind of guy. That's just not. I mean, I bring a manuscript in the pulpit. Okay, so that's just. I, I don't always come up with the most wittiest of comments, but I wanted to, and and so as she said that, I started speaking before I really thought about what I was going to say, and which is never a good idea. And so I found myself responding, "You have such beautiful." And then I panicked. <laughs> what? What am I going to say? Uh, what can I say that kind of plays on what she said, but is not just boring? I should have just said, thanks. You know? <laughs> and I said, you have such beautiful poop eyes. <laughs> Wait, what? Did I... Did I just what did I did I say that? What was I going for? I I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say or why I said that or how it came out. And you can imagine the look on Michelle's face as as she assumed that her boyfriend, not quite fiance, was telling her that her eyes looked like poop. <laughs> Which I wasn't really trying to say. I don't know. I don't know how that came out. And I've never quite fully lived that one down. But I imagine if you would have, could go back in time and ask that girl, or, or tell that girl that you know, you're going to be married to this guy 12 years one day. In that moment, she might have had some second guesses. She might not have believed you. 
And in the moment when I said that, I knew, I knew there was nothing I could do to fix it. I think that's the scariest thing. When something happens and you just know, oh man, I really messed up and, and there's just not anything I can do. There was nothing I could do to fix it. But I'd like to think that over the 12 years we've been together, I've proven to her, in spite of my inability to be witty and come up with something good to say in that moment, I've been an okay husband. I think she would say that. Uh, I think that's what happens when, when we look at the long term. On a more serious note, I have a friend who I've recently been in contact with. Uh, and, and he has just gotten custody of, for about a year and a half. He's had custody of his daughter. And, and she has gone through one of the most horrible things a parent would, could ever imagine that might happen to their daughter. Uh, a little bit of, of a backstory: My friend had, had a wild side in his, his younger days. And so he had a child with someone that he didn't stay married to. And uh, part of the reason that he did not stay married to this person, by his own admission, was because he couldn't stay away from, from alcohol and drugs. And uh, so he understood when, when the, the impending divorce had to happen. And he even understood when, when she was giving full custody and he had visitation rights. And uh, as time went on, he cleaned, his act, he cleaned up his act, became sober and clean, and he's, he's been that way for a long time. But his daughter, who is now seven, had been staying with her mother, living mostly with her mother, and, and her stepfather that she, she married not long after they split, uh, she'd been living with him. And that's just the way things were. And so he didn't try to change it. He didn't expect it to change. It just kind of was what it was. Until my friend found out that she had been being sexually molested by her stepfather for four years. And the thing that he said to me was that there's nothing I can do to go back and change that. And, and I wish that I could. And now he has full custody of her with, with visitation for, for the mother uh, and pending a lot of court stuff that is still happening and, and, and kind of going through the process. And, and there's nothing my friend can do to go back and change that. There's nothing he can do to fix it right now. But what he can do and, and what he says I'm trying to do is to, to spend the rest of my life committed to her, showing her what real love is supposed to be. And he said in, in the year and a half that I've had her, she's, she's struggled, but, but she's made progress. And, and he's got the rest of her life to do that. And that, that's all that he can do is, is over the long term, be faithful to her. So we talk about making good out of bad this morning. We're at a point in our series where Samuel has approached the end of his life and his ministry. And in spite of the bad choices uh, under his leadership and before his leadership that God's people have made, we don't see him kind of coming to the end and saying, all right, now here's all the stuff. If you do this, you're not going to have any problems. He doesn't provide them a quick fix. Instead, he calls them to long-term faithfulness. So I'm going to read chapter 12 in 1 Samuel, the first five verses, and then I'm going to skip to verse 16. Here's 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel said to all Israel, I've listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? 
Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make, uh, to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that you will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. I think the last two verses really frame the heart of Samuel's message. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. But if you persist in doing evil, you will perish. He's basically telling them that God can take what you've done. He can take all that's happened throughout history and make good out of it. But he says, first, you've got to recognize your role in the situation. You have something to do. And and God is going to do what he's going to do regardless of you, but but you have a role to play if it's going to affect you. Because you recognize your role in the situation. You know, we have this scenario that repeats itself in my house where uh, a child will want something from the pantry or the refrigerator, or they'll want something on a high shelf. And, and so they'll ask, can I go get you know, a, a drink out of this high pitcher or a snack out of the pantry or, or this thing on the shelf? And, and we will say no, because we don't want them doing that on their own. You know, you have, we have to wait. That's usually the answer. And, and kids or anyone, really, we don't like to wait. And so what will end up happening is sometimes they will go and try to retrieve this thing on the high shelf or, or get the big pitcher or whatever from the fridge or the snack. And we'll hear and a crash. And before we can even say anything, the apologies start. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was an accident. That's what they say. And, and indeed, it, it was an accident. But we go and we see the mess and. Then we'll send whatever kid it was to time out or whatever punishment we decide is appropriate. And there will be this huge protest because it was an accident. It was an accident that we spilt that. It was an accident that we broke this thing on the shelf. And we'll have to explain to them again for the hundredth time that you're not getting in trouble. I mean, we're not unreasonable people. You know, we understand accidents happen. You're not getting in trouble because it was an accident. 
You're getting in trouble because you were doing something that you knew you weren't supposed to from the get-go. And that resulted in the accident. It's not the accident that's making you get in trouble. And so I can imagine Samuel kind of feeling like this parent as he's explaining to Israel for the umpteenth time. Okay, this is what you did. These are going to be the consequences. He says in, in verse, verse 1 of our text, I have listened to everything you said to me. I've set a king over you. He's kind of saying, look, this is, this is your role to deal with. Okay, this is the situation. And he proclaims his, his innocence. And, and I think he knows the tendency of the people. He knows that the people have made excuses in the past. They've, they've even kind of rewritten the past in their own eyes, you know, when things didn't go their way and said, well, God did this to us and that to us, you know. And he remembers, you know, when they were in the desert, well, you brought us out to the desert, and now we're going to die. And so he says, the Lord's witness against you. And, and it really reminds me of what Joshua says. He says in verse 5, the Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day. That you've not found anything, you've not found anything in my hand. I'm, I'm innocent, is what he's saying. And it's almost like it's it's the same idea of Joshua when he's saying at the end of, of his leadership with the Israelites, he's saying, "Choose you this day." Remember, that's the verse we have on plaques on the wall. Choose this day whom you will serve. This is your role. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. They're going to make good out of the situation that God never desired for them to be in. They have to recognize their role in being faithful. You know, bad stuff happens. That's, that's life. And, and sometimes the bad stuff happens to us. And, and we have, maybe we're not even like Israel. We didn't even have any control over it. It's just sort of the lot that we inherited. And, and, and that's our situation. And we think, well, I don't have anything to do with this. This unfairly happened to me. And, and, and there's some truth to that. You didn't do anything to cause that to happen. But there still is a role. That you can play. It's, it was unfair for my friend who, who, whose daughter encountered something that was the last thing any parent would want to happen to their child. But now he finds himself in a situation where saying, well, it's not fair, doesn't fix anything. And he indeed has a role to play on how she will experience God and his goodness and his love for the rest of her life. You know, as unfair as it might seem to some people that go through a divorce and have to deal with a spouse that they maybe find is, is unfair to them. It's unfair, right? Kids say that all the time. It's, it's not fair. We know that life isn't fair. But, but the situation that you're in now, you have a role in, in how you will experience the goodness of God from here on out. And sometimes we don't want to face the role because we think it's unfair or unjust or we just don't want to face reality. And so we say things like that. It's not fair or it's not my fault or it was an accident. And, and maybe there's truth to that. But the point is we have to recognize our role in the situation. Whether we asked for it or whether we caused it to happen or not, that's not the point. We recognize our role. And that's one extreme. And on the other side, if God is going to be the person that does something about it, we have to recognize that we can't, we can't fix it on our own. It's not up to us to completely take care of the situation. It's something God has to do in us and through us. When I was eight, my, my little brother had this hobby of tearing stuff up in my room. I was eight, and so that would have put him two and a half to three, you know, right at that age where you like to get into stuff. 
And, and he would just go, and, and, and one of his favorite things to mess up were the posters that I had in my room. And I had some really cool posters. I had a, a Batman poster, and that was by far my favorite. I had a He-Man poster, a Superman poster, all the good ones, you know. And I would be on one side of the house, and he would be in my room. And you can hear, you know, when, it, when a paper is being torn, I'd hear it from the other side of the house, and I would come running. And, and sure enough, I'd find that poster just torn, ripped to shreds, or balled up. And, you know, there's no fixing that. And it would just tick me off to no end. And I remember one week he'd done this like three times in, in a row. And, and it was just the last straw with the last one he tore up. I don't even remember which one it was, but I was just so steaming mad. And I thought, I'm going to go in his room and I'm going to break one of his toys. And so I went and I found his favorite toy, which was like, it was this motorcycle toy. And it had like this real looking, you know, motorcycle steering wheel, had the handlebars and it made noise and, and it had working lights on it. And then it had this this connector that connected to a wheel. And so you'd push that thing around and pretend like you were on a motorcycle. And it was pretty cool, you know. Three-year-olds would think it was pretty cool. So I picked up his motorcycle toy and I just broke it across my knee. And, and the little connector that connected it to the wheel broke in two. And I instantly just felt better. I got it. <laughs> and then about 30 minutes later... You know, the moment had passed, the emotions had kind of calmed down. I look up and he's, he's in his room and he's trying to play with his toy. And he's trying to push it and the little connector is broken in two and it's not going anywhere. And then I felt bad. I'd gone from one extreme to the other. And so I tried to, to fix it. I tried to glue it, but it was just plastic. I tried to tape it with duct tape and that didn't work. And there was no fixing it. What I'd done, with there, I couldn't fix what had happened. Now, Israel had this history of trying to fix things according to what they thought needed to happen. From worshiping the golden calf right after the exodus to allowing shrines to be set up to the, the Canaanite goddess Asherah during the time of the judges. To them, this was, was trying to fix the problems they saw, whether it was a lack of rain or a lack of evidence of God being involved in their lives or a lack of being like other nations. That's why they wanted a king. And so after calling their attention to the situation that they created by, by asking for a king, Samuel tells the people to do something really that they've never been very good at doing. In verse 16, he says, Now then, stand still. Stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do. And then Scripture credits God with pouring out all this rain and this thunder and part of that probably is, is, is understood to kind of be showcasing his displeasure against them, maybe judging them. But even more than that, even more than, than judging or, or, or showing his displeasure, what I think God wants to do is demonstrate to them that he is God. That, that they can stand still and God can be God. You remember Psalm 46 that says, be still, right? Be still and know that I'm God. I think that's what he's trying to show them. and We don't have to try and do God's job for him. Even when we think we know what is best, he, he can handle it. He's God. And so part of allowing God to work good out of bad is recognizing there's some things that we're just not going to fix. Maybe they're, they're hurtful words that we said to a spouse or, or even to a child. And we wish we could take it back, but, but, but we're just not going to fix that. 
Maybe it's, it's being absent for something, or maybe it's even sinning against someone in, in a way that, that a lot of people would find horrible. And we can spend our whole lives kind of trying to, to fix those things and feeling guilty about those things. But, but we're not going to be the person that fixes those things. And on the flip side, you can't, you can't if, if someone has done something against you, someone has sinned against you, holding on to that bitterness, holding on to that anger, that's, not gonna, that's definitely not going to fix it. It's just going to mess you up even more, whether it's hate or anger or unforgiveness. And I think ultimately the reason we hold on to those things is because we feel like something's been unjust to us. We want to make it right, but we're not the ones that can make it right. If God's going to make good out of the bad, we, we do recognize our role, and that's right. We should do that. But then on the other side, we recognize God is the only person that can ultimately make good out of bad. And he does this. And this is what I want you to, this is the, the main thing I want you to get is he does this through our long-term faithfulness to him and to the people he puts into our lives. It's not a quick fix. He does it over the long haul. That's the Bible. I mean, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the long-term plan of how God is redeeming the world. Last year, our van was backed into. We were parked at Walmart, or Michelle was parked at Walmart. I was at home with the kids. She was parked at Walmart doing some grocery shopping. Our van was backed into by another van. It was from Fort Hood. It was, I guess, maybe some, uh, some soldiers. And, and, and they just backed into it and made a mistake. And uh, the way that works, it's not like if, if you get hit by a normal driver that has commercial insurance. They don't do insurance. Uh, they just, they, you, they take your claim, and you've got to file the claim, and and they pay for it uh, eventually. If you submit all your paperwork correctly to the right person, if you have all the information. And, and so I did all that. And I was, I was very careful. I filled out all the forms. I uh, talked to the people that I was supposed to two or three times. I called and checked up on them. Three and a half months later, it's finally resolved. And, and I get the check. And we replace our bumper. And thankfully, thankfully I wasn't out of a car. Thankfully I wasn't waiting on some, you know, a, another car. We, we could do that. And I could wait and I could hold out. So we didn't use our insurance. But you know, that's the way the government is, right? That's what we expect from the government. We expect for it to be bureaucratic. We expect for there to be many levels. And we expect to have to bring our claim. And it might get denied or it might not. And not to know what to expect. That's what we expect. I read a quote uh, from Eugene Peterson, and he's talking about this long-term faithfulness, and it's going to be on your screen. And he says, Too often we think of religion as a far-off, mysteriously-run bureaucracy to which we apply for assistance when we feel the need. We go to a local branch office and direct the clerk, sometimes called a pastor, to fill out our order for God. Then we go home and wait for God to be delivered to us according to the specifications that we have set down. But that's not the way it works. And if we thought about it for two consecutive minutes, we would not want it to work that way. Israel had come, uh, they'd had this pattern of messing up and then having some mediator like Moses or Joshua. And, and they would approach God on their behalf and they would repent and then they would fix things sort of temporarily. Things would be okay until they messed up again. And that's kind of what they're asking Samuel to do in verse 19. It says, The people all said to him, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we've added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king. You know, be this mediator for us. Fix things again for us. And that's sort of the pattern they'd fall into. 
But even in the last days of Samuel, you know, I mean, we know ultimately in Christ that our sins are forgiven. We don't have to, to keep going to a mediator. Our, our sins are forgiven and, 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 and we're covered and we have that assurance. But even in, the, in, in Samuel, we see this hint that God doesn't want to, the up and down, the, 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 the just sort of the temporary repentance until something else goes wrong again. We see that he's concerned about the long term because he has this beautiful response in verse 22 when Samuel says, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. In other words, God has decided ahead of time that that you are his people. And and he knew who you were. He knew you were going to mess up. He knew you were going to make all kinds of mistakes. And he knew that, that, that what was supposed to happen wasn't going to happen, or at least he was inclined to think that because he knew how you were. But he says he picked you. This has been settled. And so for the long term, he wants you to be his people. So Samuel says, yes, I will intercede for you. I'll go to God on your behalf, all right? But your long-term faithfulness is your role. That's what you're supposed to do. Verse 24, fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart. That's your job. God makes good out of bad over time through faithfulness. And that doesn't mean that God reverses the bad or or that he makes it go away all the time. Uh, You've heard the cliche, right, that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you made a dumb decision. But Romans 8, 28, God works works for our good, even in the midst of those dumb decisions sometimes. Good out of bad over the long haul. And, you know, for, for us, that might, mean, that might mean looking at the bad that came because of it's a dumb decision and saying to a child or someone that we mentor, you know, here's how to avoid this in your life. And we see God redeem that for that person. Or it might mean having church community in your life and saying, you know, I've, I've messed up and I need, I need my friends to encourage me and uplift me and pray for me. Or it might mean, it might even mean that you didn't make a dumb decision. It might say, there's bad that came into my life and, and I honestly had nothing to do with it. It was, it was because of someone else's bad decisions, whether it was a parent or a friend or a relative. And now I have to deal with it. But God makes good out of that. Maybe by helping us be someone that perseveres. Maybe by helping us be someone that, that makes better decisions than those people that made bad decisions in our life. Ultimately, long-term faithfulness is not about being guilty or being innocent. It's about God making more out of us than we would be otherwise. And, and the Christian word for that is redemption. It's about God redeeming us. I read about this, this concert in December of 2017 in, in Philadelphia called the Symphony of the Broken Orchestra. Uh, the schools in that area, public funding for, for the arts have been slashed. And so this guy had got together all these people with these broken instruments that were owned by the school to, to put on a symphony. And it was obviously a publicity stunt to make awareness of that. Uh, and it didn't sound like a normal symphony, but he was very creative. And, and he might use just the tapping of a broken trumpet to make one sound or, or, or the, a bow rubbing up against a broken violin to make another sound. And this was about a 40-minute uh, concert and, and some of it sounded kind of rough, but some of it was okay. He managed to harmonize some of those strange sounds. And they all came together and, and they had the concert. And then one by one, the instruments sort of faded out. And a broken clarinet was the last instrument before it died out completely. 
And as I said, it was, it was intended to raise awareness. It was intended to, to even raise money for, for, for the arts in their schools. But I also think it, it makes another statement about how God works in the church. Each broken instrument, so to speak, that comes together in the church. As we come together, God makes good out of the bad. And, and we are. We are a, a symphony of God. And He wants to take what is broken in you and about you. And He wants to use it. For your glory. For the long term. This morning, what is it that you need to do? What is it that you need to give to God? What is it that you need to to maybe give up? Or or to commit to long term in order for God to maybe begin making good. Making good out out of bad in your life. Pray with me. God, thank you for being a God of redemption. Thank you that nothing has ever too far gone or too lost or too messed up for you to make good out of it. And God, I pray you'd help us to recognize our role in that. Even, even when compared to what you do, it's minuscule. Help us to recognize our role of, of submitting to you, giving that to you, and being aware of you, and not trying to do it on our own. And God, would you make good in our lives? And would you make good in our church through, through all of us as we're gathered here today? God, help us to respond today as you lead and as you guide. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.